Honest Money is proudly sponsored by Outsurance. Pets are like furry members of our families, but the honest truth is life can happen to them too, and expensive vet bills could catch you by surprise. Outsurance Pet Insurance gives you a safety net so that you can give your pet quality medical care while remaining financially stable. Protect your dogs and cats and your wallet by SMSing PET to 30165. Outsurance, you always get something out. Outsurance is a licensed insurer and FSP. T's, C's and limits apply. SMSs are free. Welcome to Honest Money. It's a really interesting episode today. Um, I've been, uh, it's, I must say I'm a bit selfish about this episode because I've been really wanting to understand how, how our fellow South Africans are, are dealing with, with the world at the moment and what's the state of, of things like the property market and, 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 the, and the car buying market. So I'm really thrilled to have the analytics director of Lightstone with us today, Paul Rue de Kock. Thanks, Paul Rue, for joining us. Thanks, Warren. Thanks for having me. So, uh, you know, the, the whole post-lockdown world, I guess we, you know, we're migrating from, from really severe lockdowns to increasingly um, eased state of, of lockdown. Businesses are starting to do a bit of uh, business again. The consumer is starting to be able to at least move around. But, uh, but, but what none of us really understand, I guess, is, is just what's going on uh, with the people that still have jobs. Do people still have jobs? Are they buying cars? Are they buying houses and the like? And, and so for me, uh, I guess, you know, a, a podcast shouldn't be all about the guy that runs the podcast, but today it's all about my curiosity. And I'm so glad that, you, that you're happy to join us. So, so maybe just to kick off, you know, have you seen any trends around the, the residential property market uh, in, in the last months? Yeah, so Warren, um, obviously we, during the very hard lockdown, there was very little activity. So both in the auto and property market, March um, started off well. Uh, both those markets actually looked like they, they were set up um, for, a, for a good year. And then uh, we implemented the hard lockdown and, and obviously um, activity almost plummeted to zero on both those markets. And and that's partly because motor dealers were not allowed to operate. Estate agents could operate, but they couldn't go and show people homes. Um, so, so basically, uh, April was a was almost a write-off in terms of activity in, in those markets. Uh, and then in May, we probably see saw a pickup of around a third of the usual market activity. Um, but the good news is that uh, that in the auto market, where we see the the sales happen much more quickly, and I'll speak a bit about why it takes longer to show in the property market. Um, June was a month that was comparable to, um, to January this year, so it looked like it recovered to, uh, to the same activity levels than, than that month. Um, but obviously, you can't make up those lost months. You actually have to overshoot um, activity to, to make up for those uh, that part of March and the part of May and the full of April where no activity happened. Interesting. So, so um, one of the things that, that I've been reading about, particularly overseas, is you know, a, a trend in the big cities uh, where people are looking at uh, you know, residential property and saying, you know, do I need to live in, in my small flat in the CBD or you know, in a very high value area now, now that I'm, you know, now that we may be going to be working from home a bit more, and uh, you know, isn't there an opportunity of of moving uh, further away from from an office because maybe I don't need to be in an office and and moving, 
you know, into bigger properties, especially with their children and the like. Is that something that, that we can start to see in South Africa yet, or is, or is it a bit early to kind of start to see those trends? Um, so, so anecdotally, our estate agent clients are telling us that uh, homes with a granny flat or an office space or something is in, in, in higher demand, but obviously we, we don't see that in the data reflected yet. Um, and, and the main reason for that is that uh, typical property registration takes between two and three months to show up in the data. And that's partly because of the really onerous process with the lawyers and with the rights clearance certificates and all of that, and partly because there are lags at the deeds office to, to capture these things, these transactions. Um, so, so we're not seeing uh, a pickup of certain types of properties in the deeds office registrations yet. Um, but anecdotally, we are uh, getting feedback from our estate agent clients that uh, there's more interest in, in homes that can also have a, a space where someone can have a dedicated workspace. That's, so that's, uh, that's going to be an interesting dynamic for, uh, and, and I think I should have said it at the start of the show, I guess, um, I guess I'm the financial planner and, 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 and you're not, I mean, you're, you're, you're you know, more of an industry analyst than, than, than an advisor. So for everyone listening, you know, if I give advice, it's great. If Paul Rue does, uh, he's not giving advice. He's just sharing his information with us. But but for me, uh, you know, one of the things to just talk through then is, you know, if someone's in, in, in interested in the residential property market, uh, it's an interesting sector to look at because I guess prior to this, you know, the, the, the smaller value properties, you know, up, up, let's say up to the two million mark, have been has been quite buoyant when the rest of the, the market, the bigger property, you know, more valuable properties has been quite dead, you know, especially over the last number of years. Um, and it might it might signal that that might be a change, you know, especially if interest rates are stay low for a while. Um, I, I wondered, you know, I, I don't know if you've got the information around what happened, uh, you know, in, in previous crashes in, in you know in, in the economy and the like, how investors reacted or how the market reacted post that. You know, if, if there are any trends that we can potentially look at for the future. Yeah, Warren, I, I think you're 100 percent right that the luxury market, which um, we classify as areas where the average property value is over 3 million rand. So it doesn't sound like a lot if you look at property prices in places like Joburg North or Victoria East or all those places. But uh, just to give some context, um, close to half of all properties in South Africa, we currently value at less than 500,000. So there's quite a large affordable market that, that people often forget about. And that's incidentally the, the part of the market that's done really well during the past five years where we saw a, a losing of steam of house price growth in all the other sectors, the luxury, the high value and the mid value segments, um, but the low end affordable market held up quite quite well. Um, what we've seen through the 2008 crash, which can probably indicate to us um, which part of the market to look at as a leading indicator is that uh, luxury property market usually leads the house price growth in that market usually leads the rest of the, the property market by about three months um, and it's probably because the home buyers in that segment are more likely to do deep research on the state of the economy and all of that um, and partly also because it's it's quite price sensitive um, because your buyer pool and sellers pools are, are, are much smaller so in the 2008 crash, um, we could see the luxury property market react sooner, even before the news was announced uh, around the, the issues in the U.S. Um, but
but it also recovered sooner. So what we're seeing now is that over the past three years, we've been on a, a relatively slow um, decline in house price growth. So not negative growth, but just the losing of steam of positive growth. Um, and it was led by the luxury market. And actually, the luxury property market house price growth went into negative territory at around uh, November last year. So, so, so we're hoping to see that as we start recovering from, from the lockdown, that that market picks up soon and, uh, and then the others will follow soon. That's amazing. So, so it's actually the, the first sector to fall over is, is the luxury market and then it's equally the first sector to start picking up again. Yeah, and, and I think in South Africa we have a very interesting dynamic um, uh, that a large part of our property market is also in closed communities, so security estates and, um, and areas that's been boomed off and, and, and those kind of things. And what was interesting is during the 2008 crash, although the luxury property market uh, went into negative uh, price growth um, quite soon, the, if you isolate only estates, it actually never went into negative territory. It held its price. Um, and, and part of that reason is at that stage, um, you could find really affordable properties inside estates. Uh, it's getting harder to do now. So what we've seen in the last year is that sectional schemes with uh, security aspect has held up quite well. So that's also a sector that we'll be watching closely in the coming months because that's where you have the combination of relative affordability with the security aspect that they provide. So, so for me, uh, you know, as someone who doesn't um, always love residential property as an investment, there's some valuable insights here in that uh, if it's something that you're looking at uh, buying because interest rates are low and you've got, uh, I mean, no, no one's got a guaranteed job for life, but if you, if you, if you feel okay about, about your earning ability in the next while, then, then, uh, then potentially looking at either um, a cluster house, a house in a security state, uh, it might give you an element of protection against the next economic decline, uh, whereas a freestanding house in a normal suburb might, might give you a bit less protection. So, so that's that's really an interesting insight, Paul. And and around, uh, are there specific cities that, that did better in in, in two thousand eight, or, or provinces, or was it just generally security states and the like in all cities? Yeah. So, Warren, obviously the the western. Cape and Cape Town uh, came out of that crash much sooner and had a, quite a, a decent number of years where it had really good growth, double-digit growth, where the rest of the market was plodding along at around 5 or 6%. Um, so but what happened in the last year or so, probably 18 months, is that uh, even the Western Cape and Cape Town uh, started edging much closer to the national uh, average. So, so currently, at a national level, home prices are growing at 2.1% nominal terms. So that means it's actually in negative territory in real terms. Um, whereas if you just look at the Western Cape, uh, it's currently running at 4%. It used to run much higher. Um, so by the end of 2017, it was house price growth in the Western Cape was on average 9.8%. Um, whereas a uh, province like KwaZulu-Natal, which is the third largest property province, um, uh, is currently running at 5%, so it overtook the Western Cape in terms of house price growth. Um, so, so 
it goes through these cycles and I think where people find value and when, when there's new industries open up that generates um, jobs and, and, um, and wealth, uh, that has a positive effect on those markets. So, so I'm not asking, uh, I'm definitely not going to ask you to give us a prediction, but if we see the, the province at the moment with the greatest sort of, uh, not recovery, but just a, a tailwind at the moment in, in prices rising, is that is that at the moment KZN? Um, actually, the, the province that's doing the best, uh, but we don't often speak about it because it's actually such a small part of this property market is Pumalanga. Um, oh. and, and the reason why that can do well is uh, low volume. So let's say you have a new power station open up close to Emoslene, uh, then uh, then that would have quite a, an impact on that profit province's house price growth. Um, but but the other thing that I also wanted to chat about earlier is the, the pressure that we see happening in the low end affordable market. So, um, what, what we've seen over the last couple of years when people were starting to downscale, so we've been in a in a, um, a tough economic climate for quite a while now, so that meant that you've seen a lot of people downscale from the luxury into high segments, from high segments into mid segments, and then from the mid segments into the, the low end affordable segment. But at the same time, there's this informal economy that drove a lot of people out of informal housing into formal housing. And all of that culminates in that low-end affordable market where people are downscaling into that market, but there's also people escaping poverty into that market from, from, from the informal housing sector. And that's, that's why we've seen such good growth in that area. And that happens in rural areas, uh, in places like Cosmo City, close to close to Joburg, um, in traditional townships like Soweto, so parts of Soweto did really well over the last five years, um, and that's you know probably also why we're now seeing that the, uh, you almost want to call them the the provinces that nobody even thinks about is is doing better. And, and is that is that a trend that that, that would last typically um, months, or is that a trend that could last years? Um, so the low end affordable um, market has been outperforming the rest of the market for the past uh, four to five years. Um, it's also now coming down with everything else because um, it's it's also very driven by the opportunities that's created in that informal economy. Um, but. We are generally the Western Cape hot streak also lasted for about four years before getting closer to the national average. Um, whereas more granular or localized um, growth spurts, if you want to call it that, uh, would obviously not last that long if you go and look at municipal uh, trends and, and, and town trends. So, um, so I just thought we, we haven't really chatted, chatted much about uh, about Lightstone, and just in terms of the research that you that, that you do as a company, perhaps you could just give us a bit of insight there. Yeah, so so we um, we're mainly a business to business company, and we help our clients make uh, better decisions in a complex environment. Um, so, at the start of the lockdown, for instance, a lot of our corporate clients, which includes banks and uh, insurers, and large estate agent groups and motor dealer groups and, uh, and manufacturers, OEMs, um, 
obviously were flying a bit blind and uh, we actually created scenarios because uh, in an economic environment like this, which we've never seen, it's a true black swan event. Um, it's very difficult to do accurate forecasting. Um, but what we know from previous crashes and from previous recoveries is there's basically three main things that drives the long-term house price growth. Uh, and that's GDP growth. So if the economy isn't growing, it's very difficult to grow any sector of the economy. The second is CPI growth. So if everything else is getting more expensive, homes are getting more expensive, it, there's a link. And then the, the third, but obviously the one that has the most direct impact is uh, movements in interest rates. Um, so we, we, uh, we're helping our clients to navigate uh, the uncertainty uh, and we created these three scenarios, which, which we can maybe chat about um, later. And then we also have um, systems that helps day-to-day -day operational decision-making for our clients. So, so we have a, um, a system that estate agents access daily to get valuations on properties, uh, get information on stats in the area. We have a system that uh, physical valuers use uh, and banks use to, to ensure that physical valuations happens uh, in a transparent and accurate manner. Uh, then we have systems that sit between banks and uh, motor dealers to help the motor dealer finance an insurance person uh, on the dealer floor to source um, insurance and vehicle finance for, for, for their clients. So, so you really, um, I mean, you, you really sit, I'm, I'm quite jealous actually, so you, you kind of sit at the heart of, of understanding uh, two of the most key purchases that private investors would make is, you know, and what's actually happening in their behavior. Because most of us, the biggest purchase of our lifetime will be our house and, and often the second biggest purchase will be our car. And you're sitting in the middle of, of understanding what's actually happening in, 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 in those two big sectors. Yeah, and it's, and it's also one of the most emotional purchases that people make. It's Tell me about it. Every South African male spends too much on a car, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that, uh, I can't say too much uh, <laughs> relative to what I've seen other people spend on cars. We're still okay. Um, but yeah, uh, um, we, uh, we, we, we're definitely a, a country that places a lot of value on, on, on cars. Um, but on the flip side, we're also a country where property relative to the rest of the world is actually really cheap. Um, so, so that's why people um, sometimes see property as a, an investment class that can be lucrative. Um, obviously, our, our tax system uh, makes it difficult to quickly make a buck on, on, the, on wheeling and dealing on the property, for instance. So, so you, you've kind of teased me now about these scenarios that, you, that, that you've been sketching out. I'd love to know more for, for, for both for myself and for our listeners. Yeah, so there's some good news here, Warren, or at least the latest stat shows that, that, that there might be some good news here. Well, good news on, under the circumstances. But uh, in the start of the, the lockdown, or actually the week before the lockdown was announced, we, uh, we started working with our clients um, who were at the time already negotiating with, with government um, on the terms of the lockdown. Um, and we basically said that in... A best case scenario, we would expect GDP to drop by 3% for the year. So that would be the, we'll end off 
2020 with, with the GDP drop of 3%, which means we still have a long way to recover to that point in terms of GDP. But we also said that that would mean that uh, people would stop spending quite a bit and CPI would drop by 2%. Uh, and we predicted that the Reserve Bank would respond by dropping interest rates by 300 basis points. Um, and that would have, that's what we almost uh, saw as our best case scenario. And, and that would have resulted in house price growth dropping by 3.9%, which sounds really bad for a house price growth best case scenario. Um, but if you compare yeah, that to, to <laughs> well, <laughs> if you compare that to what, look, our, our forecast even before the lockdown was uh, that we'll reach um, close to 0% by the end of 2020 anyway, because we were in this downward cycle. Um, but if you compare those numbers to what we saw in 2008, where GDP only dropped by 1.8%, um, but house price growth actually dropped by 5.4%, and that, that is actually uh, quite a, quite a, a, a good um, outlook for, for the rest of the year. And then our mid-road, which we thought was going to be the most likely to play out, but we would never put our name to that because, you know, it's really all bets are off, is where we expect the GDP growth to drop by 6%, CPI to remain relatively constant, um, and interest rates only dropping by 225 basis points. And that would have resulted in house price growth dropping by 8.8% for the year. Um, and then when we really stretch our forecast model, um, we said that we can basically only accommodate mathematically to a point where GDP drops by 10%. Um, CPI actually starts going up because imports become so expensive um, and that forces the Reserve Bank to change or to reverse tact on their downward interest rate cycle. Um, and then we would have seen uh, house price growth drop by close to 15%. But in that case, it's almost all bets are off because um, the normal mechanics of how the macroeconomy works starts, uh, starts breaking apart at that point. Now, the good news, as I said, is that currently what we're seeing from the house prices that's been registered so far, and as I said, there's still a lot of June and, and uh, May transactions that's still trickling trickling in because the registration process is taking so long is that we're actually tracking much closer to the best case scenario than to our mid-range scenario. Um, so, so if this trend continues, we might actually see a um, house price growth of, um, of less severe decline than what we originally expected. And, and I must say, just to tie in with that, you, you know, I, I've been chatting to one or two of the of, of the lawyers who are involved in transferring properties, and and they are t telling me that they have not been this busy in many years. And so, you know, I mean, we, we can't necessarily call, call that a trend yet because it might just have been this lockdown pressure, you know, the, the deeds office closing and then opening and closing, etc. But but certainly to tie in with your with your you know your best your best case scenario. If if that does continue, uh, you know, you know, then then maybe we've seen a change in the sort of freezing of, of the market as well. You know, it feels to me, I don't know if that's wrong, but it feels to me like the high end of the property market. It, yes, it was de declining as well, but it felt frozen, like as if there weren't as many transactions as we've seen in the past. And hopefully, that now becomes a, a trend where that at least unfreezes. Yeah, I think. You know, it's, it's, it's really great to look at the data and the trends and, and a 
lot of the times we, we try and find explanations or causality, you know, in these trends. But I think because this is such a emotional buy, uh, there's sometimes deep psychological things that you can't actually identify in the data. Um, so we can we can spitball ideas around a campfire <laughs> or around the braai or whatever. But, you know, if you think of someone that has to go through lockdown in a thin shack where it's really hot and, you know, you don't really want to be there. And that guy goes and speaks to his cousin and say, listen, if we pool our money together, we can actually go and buy a low-end affordable house. You know, there's those kind of psych psychological effects that's difficult to model mathematically or to pick up in the data. And we'll see a lot of that play out over the next couple of months. So, so because it's so emotional, people might just start placing a higher value on a self-owned formal property, uh, not because there's any economic reason for it or any new industry opening up or anything like that, but purely just because they feel safe there. Amazing. And, and so, Paul, we're we running out of time, and I feel like I need to ask you the open-end question as if, uh, uh, what, what's the one thing you, you would like uh, the, the consumers out there to know that, that I haven't asked you yet? I think in a, in a difficult time when the national market is not doing that well, it's very important to go and look for those golden nuggets, those light, light sparks in the uh, in the market where we, we're interested in. And uh, a good way to do that is to go and do proper research and get access to good data. Um, and as I said, most, estate, most good estate agents use our product, so they'll be able to supply you with, with the information on what the house is worth and what the trends look like in the area and all of that. Um, but consumers can also do a lot of direct um, uh, uh, information checking and, and uh, you know, they can go and get reports on properties and on areas directly off our website as well. So, so yeah, the, the key thing is don't just look at the national or provincial trends. Go and do very granular research on the area or the house that you're interested in. Fantastic. I think, you know, that, that uh, it's, it's such an important principle for any big financial decision. I think we spend a lot more time researching uh, buying a car or buying an appliance or buying a phone and, and much less time on, 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 you know, actually doing proper research on a, on a house or any other investment. So, so I think it's a, it's a brilliant point. I agree 100%. So Paul Rue from uh, uh, Analytics Director from Lightstone, thanks so much for, for being on the show. It's really great to have you. Uh, I really hope we can get you back on again in a few months' time to, to kind of understand how, how the world's uh, progressed uh, uh, from lockdown, and it was really great to have you. Appreciate it. Great. Thanks, Ray. Thank you, Warren. Honest Money was proudly brought to you by Outsurance. With Outsurance Pet Insurance, you can keep your finances in check without having to compromise on your furry friend's medical care. Choose between three plans that cover accidents, illness, vet visits, routine care, as well as extras catered specifically to your pet's needs. To get quality, affordable insurance for your dogs and cats, SMS PET to 30165. That's PET to 30165. Outsurance. You always get something out. Outsurance is a licensed insurer and FSP. T's, C's and limits apply. SMSs are free.